And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Thank you. you may be seated. Looking at the transfiguration, uh, the transfiguration in simple terms means a change, a change. So something changes, and we see here Jesus changed, his entire appearance changed. Well, speaking of changes, there was an elderly man who had lost his hearing, so he went to the doctor who fitted him with hearing aids. A month later, the man returned to the doctor for a follow-up. The doctor checked the man's hearing and found it to be excellent with the hearing aids. The doctor then asked the man what his family thought about his hearing. The man said he hadn't told his family about his new hearing aids. He said, I just sit around and listen to them talk. I've changed my will three times. Let's look at the transfiguration, beginning with the crew. Notice what it says there. Jesus pulls Peter, James, and John aside with him. Peter, we know from looking at a few weeks ago, he was known as the Rock. And James and John, they had a nickname too. They were called the Sons of Thunder. Now, John wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. James was the first disciple to be martyred. We read about that in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. All three were fishermen all three would become fishers of men. This was Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And they witnessed the resurrection of a little girl. They witnessed seeing the transfiguration we read about today. They witnessed Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, it would be amazing to see Jesus in person, wouldn't it? If we could just meet Him in person, that would be amazing. But what must it be like to be one of Jesus' Twelve disciples, wouldn't that be amazing to, to walk and live with Him? But then even further, what must it be like to be one of Jesus' inner circle? Peter, James, and John, this select group from the twelve. Yet I want you to know that we have a relationship today more intimate than these had. Even though Peter, James, and John were the inner circle, you and I today have a relationship more intimate than these did. Because Jesus lives within our heart. Jesus guides us by His indwelling Spirit. And these men, Peter, James, and John, they would experience this later, but not now at the time of the transfiguration. All they had was they could see and hear Jesus. But we have a closer relationship with Jesus. He lives in our hearts. So we see the crew. But secondly, I want us to look at the view. The view. What did they see? They saw Jesus transfigured. They saw Jesus changed. Now, when you read the gospel account of Luke, Luke 9:28 informs us that Jesus actually took Peter, James, and John apart to pray. And while praying, Jesus was transfigured. Now, the Greek word for transfigured is metamorpheo, and we don't speak Greek, but we do know the English word metamorphosis. We talk about that, how a bug becomes a butterfly through metamorphosis. It completely changes. That's the word, to transform, to change. And Jesus was transfigured. He began to shine like the sun. His humanity was peeled back to reveal His divinity. Now, by the way, John saw this again before His death. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. But here's what I want to say. Prayer changes things. Remember, Jesus went aside to pray when He was transfigured. He went aside to pray when He was changed. Well, prayer will change you. Because as you pray, God will begin to shine into you His understanding. But as you pray, God will shine through you. Others will see. 
But not only does prayer change you, prayer will change others. Others who receive healing for which you've prayed. Others that receive encouragement for which you've prayed. As I've so often said, you and I, we must pray attention to each other. We must, I didn't say pay attention, we must pray attention to each other. We pray attention through personal prayer. We pray attention through corporate prayer. And we even have something here called the prayer chain. If you're not on our prayer chain, all you got to do is let me know and I will add your name and number to that. And when there's a special need that arises, you'll get a phone call from me or from one of the other couple ladies who do it. And you can start praying right then and there for something special. We must pray attention to one another. So prayer will change you. Prayer will change others. But let me tell you this. Prayer does not change God. You know why? The Bible says God is immutable. He's unchanging. But God does use prayer to accomplish His purposes. And God has included our prayers as part of His sovereign plan. Something else I want to say about the view here, and that is that Jesus is so much more than we think. Now, when Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured, He started shining like we read there. They'd never seen that before. And Jesus is so much more than we think He is. Whatever we may know about Him, we know so little. But we will see Him in all His glory one day. And we will not be disappointed. When you see Jesus in all His glory, when I see Jesus in all His glory, we're not going to say, nah, that's about what I expected. Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of what I thought it would be. No. We will be paralyzed with shock and awe. When we see Jesus in all His glory, because that's what Peter, James, and John saw, Jesus began to shine. And they were on their faces. Many years ago, the song came out, I Can Only Imagine. And it talks about when I see Jesus one day, I can only imagine, am I going to get on my knees? Am I going to start dancing? My friends, we can't even imagine what it will be like when we see Jesus face to face. Whatever you think He is, He is so much better, so much greater. And so we see the crew, Peter, James, and John. We see the view, Jesus was transfigured. Let's look at the two. Verse 3 says, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. Now, again, we got to go to Luke. Luke 9:31 informs us that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were discussing Jesus' pending death. He was going to be dying soon, and so that's what they were talking about. Well, why was Moses there? Well, Moses represented the law which dictated Jesus' death. And Elijah represented the prophets who foretold Jesus' ministry. They foretold his birth, they foretold his life, they foretold his death. Let me ask you this. How could these men who lived more than a thousand years before Jesus now be speaking with Jesus? How could that be? Well, the first one, Elijah, that's easy. You may know that Elijah never died. He was taken to heaven in a chariot. So that kind of, we can figure that out. But Moses did die as recorded in Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6. But I ask the question again, how could these men who lived more than a thousand years before Jesus now be speaking with him? Well, they were visiting from heaven where they were both eternally alive and well. My friends, learn this, if nothing else. There is life after death for God's people. There is life after death for God's people. Consider this. Moses had been dead about 1,400 years at this point. Elijah had been gone about 800 years. And yet Jesus is here talking to them. And note this. The disciples had never seen Moses or Elijah. I mean, there was no way in their lifetimes they could have possibly encountered either one of these. Again, Moses, 1,400 years. Elijah, 800 years. 
There was no photography at the time. They didn't look in a book and say, oh yeah, I got a picture. That's Moses and that's Elijah. The Bible doesn't tell us that Moses and Elijah were wearing name tags, okay? And yet the disciples immediately recognized them. They'd never seen them before, but they knew who they were. My friends, we will recognize our loved ones in heaven. Even though they're glorified, they're not going to look like we look now. At least I hope they don't look like me, okay? We'll be glorified. But even though your loved one's not going to look like they look now because they'll be glorified, you will immediately recognize them. But you will also recognize believers you've never met in this life. We'll all be there as one big, happy family. So again, what was Jesus doing talking to these guys? Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. What was he doing? Well, he was kindly dismissing the old way. The law would be completely fulfilled in Christ. Jesus was born under the law. Jesus lived the law perfectly. Jesus would provide the ultimate sacrifice. And so he says, Moses, I got this. Then he looks to Elijah. Elijah wouldn't be necessary either because the prophets that he, he represented, the prophets' predictions would be fulfilled. Prophets would no longer be needed. Messiah had come and it was Jesus. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so Jesus says, Moses, good job. We don't need the law anymore. I'm fulfilling it. Elijah, fine job. I'm fulfilling all the prophecies. You guys, go back to heaven. Have a nice trip. Having said that, though, what about this question? Is the Old Testament still valid? And so Jesus dismisses the law. Jesus dismisses the prophet. Is the Old Testament still valid? Well, the eternal principles laid down in the Old Testament are still valid. I mean, the law teaches our sinfulness. Just think about the Ten Commandments. Have you ever met anybody that has perfectly kept just the Ten Commandments? Now, there's a lot more laws in the Old Testament other than the Ten But I have never met anybody that didn't break at least one of the Ten Commandments. And so the law teaches us our sinfulness, starting with the Ten Commandments. And the law further teaches our absolute inability to save ourselves. And so it points to the fact we need a Savior. What about the prophets? Well, the prophets encourage us that Jesus is the Messiah. Somebody did a big lot of math and calculations many years ago. And they decided to look at just one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies from the Old Testament. Just one person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. And they determined for one person to fulfill eight of the prophecies from the Old Testament would be one chance in in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it. For somebody to fulfill eight of the prophecies, one chance in 10 to the 17th power. My friends, there are 60 major prophecies in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Is the Old Testament still valid? You better believe it is. It shows us our need for a Savior and it encourages us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And so know this. We've got the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. We don't need any new revelations. Now, cults always have an extra word from God. They've got something new from God. The Jehovah's Witnesses have their president and they have their watchtower and whatever new they come up with, that's something new for their people. The Mormons have the Book of Mormon in addition to the Bible and they have other books and then they have their prophet. 
Pentecostals seek evidence of the Holy Spirit. They entertain new messages from God. My friends, if you've got Jesus, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament, you don't need anything else. And so we've seen the crew. We've seen the view. We've seen the two. Now lastly, I want us to look at the do. As soon as Jesus is transfigured, it says in verse 5, I didn't read this, but God the Father speaks from heaven. And here's what he says, this is my son. Now Jesus is the son of God. He is fully human, yet fully divine. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He said, this is my son. And then God the Father says something else. Hear him. Now that doesn't mean just listen to what he says. The idea of the Greek there in here is to listen and obey. Now, Peter, James, and John have just witnessed something unique and something wonderful. They saw Jesus transfigured before them. He began to shine like the sun. They've seen something nobody else has ever seen. But God the Father reminds them of what's important. Listen to what Jesus says and do what Jesus says. I know you saw Moses. I know you saw Elijah. I know you saw Jesus shining like the sun. Here's what matters. Listen to what Jesus says and obey. Don't fall for the glitz and glamour. Don't get sidetracked with dubious teachings. Don't seek for something new. Hear and obey what Jesus said. You say, okay, well, make it simple for me, Gary. What did Jesus say? Well, he said many things himself. He said many things through the inspired writers of scriptures. But the teachings of Jesus can all be boiled down to one teaching. And that teaching is love. Love God and love one another. You remember that man came to Jesus one time. He said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It all boils down to love. And so we must run all of our thoughts and actions through this filter. If we are to love God and we are to love one another, then no matter what we're thinking of saying, no matter what we're thinking of doing, we run it through this filter. Maybe you're thinking about cheating on your spouse. Run it through the filter. Would that show love for God and love for others? Of course not. Now, you didn't do this today, but maybe next week you're going to think of staying home from church. Not because you're sick. You just don't feel like getting up. You don't feel like getting dressed and all that. Does that show love for God? Does that show love for others? Maybe you're thinking about supporting politicians who support abortion. Does that show love for God? Does that show love for others? Of course not. And so, my friends, this is one thing, a filter through which we can run through all our thoughts, all our actions. Does this show love for God? Does this show love for others? Because remember, what did God the Father say? Listen to my son and do what he says. And what did he say? Love God and love one another. Well, when all this goes down, look in verse 4. Peter wanted to build three tabernacles. He said, this is amazing. I've seen Moses. I've seen Elijah. I've seen Jesus shining like the sun. We need to build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. Now, when Peter said that, he wasn't rebuked. He was just ignored. Nobody paid any attention to it. And here's why. God doesn't want buildings. He wants believers. He doesn't want buildings. He wants believers. I said this in early service. I love seeing that dirt Awana circle. Do you see that? It's made out of dirt. Now, we got a nice indoor Awana circle. And we retape it every so often because the tape starts to come up. 
But those kids over there, they don't have the blessings like we have here. So they play in the dirt. And they play the very same games that our kids play. Isn't that amazing? I just love that. I love that. And they hear about the same Jesus Christ that our kids hear about too. God doesn't want buildings. He wants believers. And so God wants us to concentrate not on new buildings. He wants us to concentrate on a new temple. And what is that temple, that new temple? It's you and it's me as a believer in Jesus Christ. Look what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and you are not your own? And so if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you believe He died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, you are now God's temple. So God doesn't want new buildings. He didn't want Peter to build three new tabernacles. He wants us to focus on the new temple, which is where He now lives in us. But let me ask you a very serious question. You claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You claim that your body is His temple. Do you live like God lives in you? Seriously, do you live? Think of how you live. Do you live like God lives in you? And so today, very briefly, we looked, first of all, we looked at the crew, Peter, James, and John. They're pulled aside, these three guys. But we today have a more intimate relationship with Jesus than they had at that time because Jesus lives in our hearts. We looked at the crew, then we looked at the view. They saw Jesus transformed, transfigured, and then they saw Elijah and and Moses with him too. It was amazing. Remember, when you and I finally meet Jesus face to face in all his glory, we won't be disappointed. We'll probably be paralyzed with shock and awe. We looked at the crew. We looked at the view. We looked at the two. Moses and Elijah there. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophet. Jesus said, why don't you all go back to heaven? I got this. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. And then we looked finally at the do. Peter, but I'm sure the other guys too, they were just so excited about what they had seen. And God the Father said, don't get distracted. This is my son. Do what he says. Do what he says. What does he say? Love God and love one another. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your body is his temple. I ask again, do you live like God lives in you? And so the invitation this morning is quite simple. Receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You personally believe that he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. And you will become a believer. Your body will become his temple. If you've already received Christ as Savior, you would say your body is his temple. May this question haunt you. Do you live like God lives in you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing around the world. Thank you for bringing Chris here to share with us how you're moving in Africa, but we want you to move like that here too. And so, Father, raise up an army of children from Awana, from Sunday school, from the neighborhood to go forth and proclaim your gospel. If there's somebody here who needs to receive Christ as Savior, maybe a child, maybe an adult, doesn't matter. Give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. And for the rest of us who are believers, who are your temple, help us to live like you live in us because you do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation this morning.